Leviticus chapter 22. What's that theme of Leviticus? Holiness. Holiness. Yeah, awesome. Holiness. Again, it's being set apart away from the things of this world, being set apart to a relationship with God, and then after that, it's being set apart for the work of God. We've looked at these scriptures, Deuteronomy 4.24, the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Hebrews 12.29, that our God, he is a consuming fire. And as we serve a holy God, he calls us to be holy as he is holy. Last chapter, we looked at the high calling for the priests, for anyone that was going to serve the Lord, anyone that was going to mediate between God and man, they had a higher calling, they had a higher standard. Tonight we're going to see in chapter 22 that same theme continues, that you need to have a high calling when you're in the ministry. We're going to see how our offerings are sacrificed to God. It shouldn't be from what's left in the back of the barrel or bottom of the barrel, but we need to be offering the Lord our absolute best. And finally, one thing that we're going to see right here in the middle is that the things that we touch matter. The things that we touch, the things that we mess with, they matter. But Leviticus chapter 22, verse 1 through 2, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they do not profane my holy name, by what they dedicate to me, I am the Lord. You see, God wanted to make sure that the Levites kept the things that were holy, holy. The things of God, they belong to God and they need to be holy. They needed to be consecrated and we need to be careful of this same thing. Now for the Levites, what did that look like? After work, a Levite couldn't take the menorah home, the lampstand home for his son's birthday, right? Hey, let's blow out the candles and let's use this. A priest, he wouldn't be able to just take all the showbread home and say, oh, I got a bunch of people coming over, so I got some extra food here at the church, so let me go take that over there. The priest had holy things and they needed to stay separate. A priest wasn't allowed to wear his priestly garments at home or going out to public. He was only allowed to wear those robes on the compound of the temple or of the tabernacle. And we need to be careful because oftentimes in our rut and in our habits, we can make the service to God something that is common and something that's not holy. In our rut, we can just be doing the same thing and serving God in the same way. And we can't forget that what we are doing is supposed to be holy. What we are doing, it's supposed to be separate. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice for our God. And we need to be careful with that. That we could be serving here at church and we can forget, hey, what I'm doing here is something that is holy. Something that is sanctified. Something that is set apart for the Lord. We have to be so careful with that. It's, it's a rut. Thank the Lord that as we grow and mature, this is the type of ruts we fall into. But we need to be careful. Right? You're not just changing diapers. No, you're changing holy diapers, right? You're saying holy, right? They're holy diapers, right? You're not just driving golf carts. No, you're doing the work of the Lord. Me here teaching, it's not just a TED Talk. Hey, listen to my TED Talk, right? No, this is something that's holy, something that's sanctified. Cleaning the restroom, serving the food, all that we do needs to be bathed in prayer and needs to be asking for the Lord to work in us. Right? There's that scary portion of scripture 
where Samson, he thinks he's going to get up just like he's done every other time. But what's happened? Because of his disobedience, the Spirit of God is no longer on him, and he stands up just like all the other times, and yet the strength doesn't come through. And he falls, he crumbles, and that can often happen to us in the service. Joseph Parker, he quotes, he says, When intellect supersedes worship, when human ability replaces the power of God, when skill quenches the spirit, it is time to write Ichabod over the doors of our church. The name Ichabod means the glory of God has departed. And family, if we ever begin to use church in a way that we got to go to this blog post and we got to go to this website and, hey, this works at my work, this works at the school, we have to be careful because we've lost the purpose for coming to church. It's to meet God. It's to have his glory come over our lives and convict us and comfort us and correct us. So again, the priests, they had to be careful. They weren't allowed to just take the holy things from the temple and take them home all willy-nilly. We also have to be careful because in our callousness to ministry, and that can happen, we can become callous in ministry, we can become callous in church, we can begin to take it lightly, or even worse, we can become entitled to our territory in the church. And that can happen in small ways and great ways, right? You come to church a little bit later and go to your seat in the sanctuary, and I can't believe it. There's a new family, and they're sitting in my seat at the church, right? We have to be careful with that. We don't engrave our name there, right? At Calvary Chapel Miami, we don't do that. This seat was brought to you by the loving offering. We don't do that here, right? But we can become territorial. That can happen to us in ministry, right? We're serving in a certain area, and now this is my territory, right? We have to be careful with this. Our death, our blood didn't bring any of this church to fruition. It was all the glory of God. And when we were first invited to come here, or maybe after a prolonged period of coming here, right, you're, you're blown away that the Lord even allows you to be a part of it. Man, I can't believe I found a church like this. Man, I can't believe the worship here. Man, I can't believe they asked me to serve in the parking lot. I can't believe it. But over time, we can become entitled. And then the question becomes, were we serving the Lord, offering Him offerings? Or were we in church building our own kingdoms? And those two things, they don't gel, they don't jive. If we're coming into church trying to build my kingdom, trying to create my networking so I can move from this church to a bigger church, when I stand before Jesus, that will be burnt to a crisp. And the same thing is for us. When we come on Wednesday night, when we're serving, is it to build our kingdom? Is it so that other people would perceive that we're holier or better than the people around us? Or are we taking it with the same humility and grace and just, Lord, blown away, Lord, how do you allow me to be a part of this? I can't believe it, right? The disciples, that crept into their minds. They came to Jesus saying, hey, there's other people doing works in your name. Should we forbid them? Should we stop them? He goes, no, let them keep doing it. Again, that's our same problem is sometimes we see other people in church growing and maturing and doing work and we begin to say, are they taking the glory from me? And they might be, but that's not what church is about. It's not about your glory or my glory, my kingdom or your kingdom. We are all here trying to build the kingdom of God. We're all here trying to show our thank yous and gratitude to Jesus and all he's done for us. 
Again, family, this place is a place of worship to God. It's not a place where I'm here to build my kingdom. Verse 3 says, Say to them, Whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicated to me while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Again, the priest had to draw near to God in purity. They were not allowed to come near to God if they were impure, whether ceremonially or through sin. And the same is true for us. We are not allowed to draw near to God unless we are pure. The joy for us living in the New Testament is our purity, our righteousness is all in and through the work of Jesus Christ. We don't come to God by our righteousness. We don't come to God in our purity. When we begin to think that, we slowly but surely become Pharisees. And then we think, I deserve to be closer to God because of my works and my righteousness. And now this guy off the street in their sin doesn't deserve to be as close to God as I deserve to be. Again, we live in this new covenant where it's in and through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can draw near to the Lord. But the priests, they had to be clean. This isn't the same for us. We don't have to worry about being ceremonially unclean. We need to be concerned with our sins and with our holiness. We can leave the old law behind. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. You could turn there quickly. And if someone was judging you and your food choices during the fast, this is the scripture you should have given them. It says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Again, the whole point of the book of Leviticus, it is holiness, but it's a picture, it's a shadow of Jesus Christ. Now, it'd be pretty creepy to fall in love with someone's shadow, right? Be pretty weird. That's a strange infatuation, right? But oftentimes today, churches are infatuated with the shadow. Does your church have church on Sunday or Saturday, right? Because there's only one true Sabbath. No, that, that doesn't matter anymore. We come to church on Sunday because that's the Lord's day. That's the day Jesus resurrected and defeated sin and death for us, right? Back to, oh, are, you, are you eating pork? Are you fulfilling the laws? We're no longer judged by that. Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 10, it gives us the same mindset. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 4 through 5, it says, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Again, Leviticus, being ceremonially unclean, this is the copy and the shadow, but the substance is Christ. Finally, Hebrews chapter 10, to nail down this point, verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So again, for us, we don't hold to the law and we try to bring that today and say, hey, we have to be obedient to all these things. Can't cut the corners of your beards. Can't get tattoos. Can't do this. Can't do that. No, we now look to the New Testament and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. 
This also shows us that for the priest, there were consequences to what they touched, right? That's one of the points we're making. Their ability to minister on behalf of God was in jeopardy depending on what they touched. And family, the same thing is true for our lives today. What we touch affects our ability to serve the Lord. If you're constantly touching unclean things, if you're constantly watching and listening to and doing unclean things, it will affect your ability to serve the Lord. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Again, if you've been around some messy things and dirty things on purpose, by choice, it will affect your ability to serve the Lord. There's a book, I haven't finished reading it, it's called The Stain That Stays. And there's certain sins, especially for a pastor and a minister, that the Lord forgives, but they will stain for years and years to come. So important for us to stay away from unholy things and be the men and women that God has called us to be. Verse 4, it tells us back in Leviticus 22, Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron, who is a leper, or has a discharge, shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse, or a man who has an emission of semen, or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean, or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be. The person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening, and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. And now what the Lord is telling Moses to tell the Levites is sometimes you're around unclean things and it's an accident. Or it's not by choice. How do you cleanse yourself? How do you get yourself ready for the work of the Lord? You have to be washed with the water. For us, New Testament, what does that mean? Wash yourself with the water of the word. Right? Many of, many of us, not me, I work here at church, right? But many of you, right, you work with unbelievers. And they have unbeliever mouths. They have unbeliever phones. They listen to unbeliever music. And now you're around this filth. And it will affect you if you do not allow yourself to be cleansed by the washing of the word. It will slowly creep into your habits. It will slowly creep into the way you speak. It will slowly creep into the things you want to watch and the things you want to do. Again, listening to... Jim Gallagher, he mentioned every day after work, he would sit in his car and just read the scriptures. Read the scriptures after being around a bunch of people cussing like crazy or a bunch of people in the things of the world. We need to wash ourselves with the word. Verse 7, and when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterwards he may eat the holy offerings because it is his food. Whatever dies naturally or is torn by beast, he shall not eat to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. We've already talked about this. There was no roadkill cafes in the nation of Israel or anything like that. But verse 7 should bring us a lot of comfort and a lot of conviction if we are those who are prone to beating ourselves up. You see, after they've been washed and after the sun goes down and comes up, they're clean. And now they can partake of the holy offerings right away. 
They may have blown it in the past. They may have been unclean on accident or on purpose. But once they repented and handled things according to God's word, the next morning they were brought right back to the holy offerings and the holy food of the Lord our God. And the same is true for us today. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. It says, This I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Family, when you sin and when you blow it, just handle it in a biblical way. Confess your sins to the Lord. Confess your sins to whoever you hurt and whoever you sinned against. Pay any debts if they're needed and get right back in the battle and right back with the holy things of God. It's prideful for us to say that the sacrifice of Jesus was not enough for my sins and my mistakes. For me to say, I sinned, I blew it, I confessed before the Lord, I got right with the person, I paid any retribution that needed to be paid, but no, 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 I'm not worthy enough to be serving. I'm not worthy enough to be back at church. Again, I got news for you. You never were worthy to be serving. I never am worthy to come here and teach. It's when we're right with the Lord through his grace and mercy that is new every morning. His faithfulness, we get to serve him. If not, we'd be consumed. If not, we'd be burnt to a crisp. So if you're one that you beat yourself up after you sin, if you're one that you spiral out of control with every sin that you slip back into, man, get right back in the battle. Perhaps it's an excuse to stay in the sin Instead of coming back into the family of God and getting back to the work of God. Again, the Lord, His his mercies, His compassion, it does not fail. His faithfulness is great. Get back in the battle. Get back to those holy things. Verse 9, they shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby. If they profane it, I, the Lord, sanctify them. Here what we see is that there was not a double standard for the Levites. They were just like the rest of Israel. If they sinned and did not handle things correctly, they would bear the sin and they would die from it. Again, we need to be careful that we're not holding our pastors or church leaders to a double standard. So often churches, they crumble when this happens. The leader blows it, the pastor blows it, and they just simply move them to a different area of church. Or they keep them in the same area of church. And there's lasting effects when church elders and leaders hold their own people to a double standard. The consequences were the same, if not worse, like we saw in the last chapter, for the priests that would be in unrepentant sin. And even there, how gracious our Lord is. You think of Eli with Hophni and Phinehas. And how long they were sinning in the book of Samuel before the Lord struck them all dead. Verse 10, no outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. Again, here we see the food of the priest was a holy thing. Again, that's an awkward conversation. Hey, that bread's only for me and my family. It's not for you, right? You family member from a distant land or you person working on my house for a certain amount of time. But if they purchased someone, if they had a slave in their home, they were to eat their food just like their own sons and daughters. 
Again, a slave in the nation of Israel was considered a part of the family. Nothing as what we know modern day slavery to be or what happened during the Civil War. Here through this beautiful process, they would go from slave to son and daughter. Basically, the life of a slave was dependent on how good or how evil his master was. And we as believers, we go through the same process. We go from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. And then, right, we don't just stay there. We become sons and daughters. We become his friends. We become heirs to the throne of God. Again, what a beautiful picture there. Verse 12 through 13, if the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offering. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced or has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. This shows us, this may be difficult for some of our Hispanic families here, right? But this shows us a great separation between a daughter and her family once she is married. If the priest's daughter marries anyone from any of the other tribes of Israel, he was, in a sense, no longer under her care. She was no longer allowed to eat the food of the Levites because now she belonged to another tribe. However, if something would happen to her husband then and she moved back into the house, then she'd be under the care of her mother and father again. I'll leave that there. You discuss that with your family when you get home. Verse 14, And if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. They shall not profane the holy offering of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings. For I, the Lord, sanctify them. You see, ignorance is not bliss. Sometimes we sin in ignorance. It's not just, uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't really matter. I I didn't know what I was doing. No, there are consequences to our sins, whether they're in ignorance or whether we did them willfully. They still have to offer an offering, and they would have to pay back 20% of it in retribution. Again, sin always leads to death. Sin always has a cost associated with it. Let us not look lightly at our own sins. Verse 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the strangers in Israel, who offer his sacrifice for any of his vows, or for any of his freewill offerings which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Again, maybe a foreign concept, but a free will offering had to be made from a free will, right? You have to be careful sometimes as parents or even as a spouse, right? We pressure someone in our family to start serving the Lord, right? Or, hey, offer this up, give this to the Lord. This is what you got to do, this is what you got to do, this is what you got to do. It doesn't work that way. It has to come from the free will of that person making that offering unto the Lord. Verse 20 through 24, now he's turned, right, we, he started in this paragraph. In verse 17, he's going from just speaking to Moses and the Levites to now speaking to the entire nation of Israel. And now in verse 20, he says, Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, 
It must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. Now why would God have to go over these rules and regulations? Because this is exactly what we do in our flesh, right? Why did the Lord have to tell him two chapters ago, hey, don't be talking bad about the deaf guy behind his back, right? Don't trip the blind person. Why did God have to do that? Because that's exactly who we are in our flesh. This is exactly what we're prone to, right? Oh, man, I have these leftovers in the back of my house. I don't even know if I could take that to goodwill. Let me call the church and see if they need it, right? Maybe they could have some use for it, right? That's not what we are to do. We are to offer the Lord our best. That's what we should be doing. Again, we need to be careful with that, right? It's one thing to receive a Christmas gift and not know it was like a hand-me-down Christmas gift, right? That's one thing. It's another thing to receive a hand-me-down Christmas gift and say like, dude, I was there with you last year when you opened this, man. I saw it. Can be offering me hand-me-downs, right? And this is exactly what we do to the Lord. We should be offering the Lord our absolute best. Again, not just your leftovers, right? It says that you can offer a free will offering if it's messed up or jacked up, but not for a vow, not for a true sacrifice. And it's not just our things, right? Hey, I want to donate this to the church. I don't know if the dump will take it, so hey, maybe the church could use it. It's not just that. Oftentimes, we offer the Lord our defective time, right? We see someone else, and we see them in their Bible consistently, and when you turn to yourself, what do we say? I just don't have the time for it, right? I just don't have the time to read my Bible that consistently. They must have 25, 26 hours in a day, but I, I, just, I just don't have the same amount of time. Is, is that the truth? It's simply that it's not a priority in our lives, so what do we do? We offer God defective time. Lord, if my alarm clock magically wakes me up at the perfect time, if magically breakfast appears in my bed, if magically I don't get distracted on my phone, and if the Bible just drops from heaven onto my lap, of course I'll read this morning, right? But is it a priority? We offer him our defective time. It's the same thing oftentimes with our tithing. Do we offer God our first fruits? Before we collect anything, we're giving God our 10% or above. Or we're saying, God, if there's anything left, sorry, God, it was Christmas. I know it was your birthday, but I spent too much on gifts, so now I can't spend anything on the tithe, right? What are we offering the Lord? How about in our service? Oftentimes, we only offer him defectiveness. Oh, a couple other things came up, so I can't, I can't serve this week, you know. My cousins, aunts, brothers, uncles, sisters, coworkers, they have a birthday party that I got to go to. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it and serve on time, right? This season of life, you can serve because you have lots of time. You have 28 hours in your day. I only have 24 hours in my day, right? So I just can't serve the Lord. Oftentimes we give him our defective things. Same thing with the nation of Israel, right? Uh, my cow just died. That's the one to offer to the Lord, right? 
That one just got crushed by the trailer. Let's give that one to the Lord, right? No, we should be offering God our best. Why? Because he demanded a perfect sacrifice for us. For each and every one of us, God didn't just grab a defective sacrifice to save us and bring us into heaven. He gave us perfection. Right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 19, we can turn there. It's too important to not turn there. Again, God offered us his absolute best. The best offering he could make for us, for our behalf, for our sins. That's exactly what he did. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 It says, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, for your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Again, God offered a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. How how dare I always say, Lord, if there's anything left, eh, maybe I'll give some to you. Lord, if there's anything left after my own social media time, after the thousand Starbucks I bought this month. Lord, if there's anything left, I'll, I'll give that to you. How dare we do that when he offered his best? He demanded perfection, and he was willing to give up perfection to save us. On a sadder note, the Pharisees would abuse these laws and regulations. We're not going to go there, but in Matthew 21, verse 12 through 13, that's when Jesus goes into the temple, and he turns all the tables. Because they turned, right, a house of prayer into a den of thieves. They were telling the nation of Israel that all of their animals were defective because they were in sin, whether the air of Rome or the money they bought, and they took that to a fault. But we should be wanting to offer God our best. Right, you remember your first date with a person you're in love with, right? Did you say, what's the, like, smallest thing I can afford, right? Is that where you went? Like Taco Bell will be easy on the budget, right? Let's take her there. Let's take her there, right? If you went there, I don't got problems with Taco Bell, but, right? Usually that's not where you go on the first date, right? Honeymoon. Honey, where are we going to go on our honeymoon? Oh, I got this coupon, right? I I think we could go here. I got this Motel 6 coupon. We can hang out there, right? No, you want to give your best to the person that you love. When you love someone, you give them your best. Right, you ask any mom about her kids, and she offers her kids the best she has, even if it's a detriment to herself. That's the same type of love and compassion we should have for God and for the people of God. Lord, I want to offer you my best. And again, why does he say that? Because that's exactly what the nation of Israel would do. That's exactly what we do as well. Verse 26 and 27, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a bull or a sheep or goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. So an animal had to be older than eight days in order to be a sacrifice. Verse 28 through 30, it says, Whether it is a cow or a ewe, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it 
of your own free will. On the same day it shall be eaten, you shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. Again, a free will offering. No one should have to be jamming a crowbar between you and your wallet to get money out of you. No one should be guilting you, sending you pictures of the sad kids and kiddos ministry, right? All all crammed in there trying to get more money off of you. It it should be of our own free will. The New Testament tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. We shouldn't be doing it begrudgingly, right? We should be doing it in a heart and attitude of, Lord, I love you and this is what I want to give to you. Verse 31, it says, Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. Again, we looked at those scriptures last week in Romans. Whoever you obey, that is your Lord. If you're obeying sin, you're obeying your flesh, that is your Lord. Why should we keep these commandments? Why should we perform them? Because he is the Lord our God. We need to be obedient to him. Verse 32, you shall not profane my holy name, but it will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Again, what a loving God. God sanctifies us. believe in the King James Version, it says that they were hallowed, that God saw them as holy. These same people that earlier in the day, they were bringing their blind three-legged oxen, right, to God. Later on that night, he goes, hey, you're a holy people. And why are we a holy people? Because we're his people. It's not our works. It's not our righteousness. It's the work and the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon our lives. So often we're saying, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm such a hypocrite. And you are completely right. Completely right. But thank God that's not what brings us into heaven. What brings us into heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, don't get down on yourself. Do the right thing. Do the biblical thing. Be cleansed. Be washed. Pay back anything that's owed. And get right back to the holy things of God. Let's be that holy people. We are that kingdom of kings and priests to our God. May we offer him our best. May we not hold a double standard. And may we not take it for granted. Whatever we touch comes with a price. Whatever we touch, those unholy things, if you're messing with them, if you're playing with them, it's going to affect your relationship with God and it's going to affect your ability to serve the Lord and the God that loves you more than anyone else. 